Welcome to it. It's Husker Sports Weekly, your one-stop shop for all things Husker Sports. Episode number 73 for you this week, and it is almost the turn of the year. And you know what that means. It's almost time to decide a national champion in the world of college football. So we will be previewing the college football playoff matchups that will be taking place tomorrow on New Year's Eve. A conversation about possible expansion in the college football playoff and what we think about that. And finally, Women's basketball is actually playing right now as we record this against Michigan State, looking for a 13-0 start, so we will mention them at the end of the episode as well. But before we get into any of that, Grant Hansen, Connor Clark here with you. As always, you can find us on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27 and at Hansen 15 underscore Hansen. You can find our show on Twitter at Husker Weekly and search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar of your favorite podcast networks. We're recording this on December 30th. That's when this episode will come out. 2021 is almost over. We have less than 36 hours left in the year of 2021. And man, it has been a long one. But really no better way to close it out with some awesome college football and these college football playoff matchups. So let's dive right in to these two matchups. You have number one, Alabama, who's 12-1, and the champions of the SEC, playing number four, Cincinnati, the first ever group of five team to make it into the field of four of the college football playoff. They are the undefeated American Athletic Conference champions at 13-0. That is the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic at 2.30 p.m. Central Time. Alabama is a 13.5-point favorite in Dallas, Texas. And then the other matchup later on New Year's Eve, number two, Michigan, the champions of the Big Ten, sitting at 12-1 versus number three, Georgia, the runner-ups of the SEC, also at 12-1. Their only loss coming in that SEC championship game. That will be the Capital One Orange Bowl at 6.30 p.m. in Miami, Florida. And the Georgia Bulldogs are minus 7.5. So let's kick it off here with Alabama and Cincinnati, Grant. This is a very intriguing matchup. A lot of people saying the 13.5-point spread is actually favoring the Cincinnati Bearcats. It could be a lot higher, which is true because it is Alabama. But I'll kick it off with this question for you. Would you go as far as to bet against Nick Saban in this matchup, or is that just foolish? That would be just foolish, yes. Uh, Look, Cincinnati is really good. Uh, I I think they've proven that over the last two years. They took Georgia to the wire. That bowl game a year ago was uh, one of the better bowl games that I've seen in some time, Uh, and that's part of why it really uh, should have been the committee's job to pit these two against each other in the opening round. Uh, or perhaps, of course, you could get Alabama-Georgia. That also would have made a lot of sense as opposed to the matchups that we currently have. But it's very hard for me, again, like you said, to bet against Nick Saban. Everything uh, that history says says that's a bad idea. And I I think Cincinnati is going to make this a game. I I really don't believe, in my opinion, uh, that this game is going to be a blowout, uh, but Nick Saban at this point has had three weeks to prepare for this thing. I don't believe we're going to see the Auburn, or rather the Alabama that played Auburn in the Iron Bowl just about a month ago. We're going to see an Alabama that's incredibly prepared, and certainly Cincinnati has those same advantages as well, but I think in the end the Bearcats are going to come up short here, and, and again, it, history says do not bet against Nick Saban, and there's no reason to bet against Nick Saban at this point. Yeah, I think this game's going to be really good, as you just said, Grant. I think it won't be a blowout, 
I wouldn't be surprised if Cincinnati really makes it a one-score game here. I think they will cover this spread, Cincinnati will. But obviously their best win is Notre Dame this year on the road at Notre Dame. And granted, that was probably a much different Notre Dame team earlier in the year than we have been subjected to here in the past couple of weeks or so, or at least not in the last couple of weeks, but the last couple of weeks in the regular season. But they've played really good football, and that is turning out to be a a fantastic win for the Cincinnati program. And obviously, they took care of business in the rest of the conference. Um, They've really had no worries, no really upset watches. Obviously, the unblemished record of 13-0. But I think Cincinnati comes into this game with the nothing-to-lose mentality. And they're probably going to pull every trick that is up their sleeve in this game to try and beat this Alabama Crimson Tide team because we've we've seen this Alabama team struggle and you just mentioned the Iron Bowl that Alabama had a last second touchdown to force overtime ended up winning that game we've seen them lose to Texas A&M granted that was earlier in the year but we've seen them look a, a loss in the face really twice and they've split they've, they've had a split decision there with those two times, and obviously they looked really good against Georgia in that SEC championship championship game, which was also almost about a month ago at this point, um, which is pretty crazy to think about. But uh, I, I think this will be a good game. It'll all it'll be about containing Bryce Young if you're Cincinnati. Obviously, forty three touchdowns, four interceptions. You can't argue with that. Bryce Young is a phenomenal quarterback. He tore it up against Georgia, which is a defense that has been dominant all season long. But if, the, if Cincinnati can disrupt Bryce Young, such as Auburn did, or such as Texas A&M did, they could have a real shot here. Now, I'm not picking Cincinnati to win this game, but at the same time, I wouldn't be shocked if they have a bunch of Alabama fans biting their nails in the final seconds. Yeah, I think that's probably what it looks like. Um, the Alabama wins a close one. It's a great game throughout a back-and-forth game. I, I don't know, and part of me part of me has this fear that Cincinnati will get dressed down the way that Notre Dame has been uh, by the Crimson Tide in years past. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think that always kind of has to be on the table with, with Alabama. Um, but, you know, again, you got the Heisman Trophy winner on one side. The, the idea that he has ever been doubted is, is ludicrous. I... I know that's not a very hot take to say that, and he was getting rather the ESPN tweet that quoted uh, him talking about being doubted uh, certainly was getting a lot of flack on Twitter, so it's not exactly a hot take or a brave thing for me to say that, but um, the the idea that anyone is doubting him or Alabama is just ridiculous. Uh, Yeah, I, I I I hope it's a good game. I think it'll be a good game. And again, Cincinnati has the coaching, I think, uh, and the belief and the culture to be right there with Alabama to the very end. Can they win it? That, that, that remains to be seen. All right, looking at some team stats between Cincinnati and Alabama. Cincinnati averaging 39.2 points per game to Alabama's 42.2, so pretty close there. Points allowed per game. Cincinnati only allowing 16.1 a game, meanwhile Alabama allowing 20.2 yards are over the 400 mark, although Alabama 495 to Cincinnati's 428, so a pretty big gap there. And now ESPN's playing something, of course. Um, but yeah, once again, it's 
it's going to be hard to bet against Bryce Young and Nick Saban. And as you mentioned, Grant, the Heisman Trophy winner in college football this year. Once again, 43 touchdowns, only four interceptions for him this year. Over 4,300 yards passing, which has been unbelievable. And Alabama, I mean, they're Alabama. They're they're good all around. They've been good all around for as long as Nick Saban has been there. And, and they're just a blue blood program. And for Cincinnati to try and make a statement here... It's going to be hard, but as we just mentioned, it could it could be a really close game. I know that's what all of us are hoping for. I know that's what ESPN is hoping for because that will drive the ratings up. But um, overall, I think we're set up for a pretty good matchup here. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And I, I think that especially compared to the second one, which I think won't be as good, uh, it's exciting, and and you also mentioned you get Desmond Ritter again on a national stage. Uh, well, rather, really, really, truly, for the first time, apart from last year's bowl game against Georgia. Uh, and so, can he beat out Bryce Young? Uh, that'll be a, that'll be an interesting storyline to watch too uh, throughout this one. So, I, again, Cincinnati comes up a little bit short, I think, but. Of the two games, this is the one that I think is going to be the better one. And let's move on to that second game. Number two, Michigan. And number three, Georgia. Once again, Georgia, a seven and a half point favorite against the Michigan Wolverines. And Grant, you say this will be the worst of the two games. Explain yourself. I don't think Georgia's that good. Now, I know that is a massive sea change from where I was about a month ago. And... It is fair to Alabama to say what they did to Georgia at the time was the most impressive thing anybody had done in college football this year. That's certainly true. As you go back and look at the numbers on on the Bulldogs, strength of schedule certainly jumps out at you as something to watch. I, I think Michigan is going to be able to totally dominate up front uh, against the Bulldogs. I think they're going to be able to to run the football incredibly well. And uh, to me, that is why I, I don't think this is close. And then on the flip side, Georgia is just not good on the offensive end, not good enough um, to compete. And, and so I, I, I think I, I think that is probably going to be the surprise for a lot of people here is when, is when Michigan wins this one, and I think they win it at least by two scores. See, that's interesting because I think this game will actually be pretty good. Now, however... Michigan has played really good football their last two games specifically against Ohio State in the game and then against Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game. But Georgia is an SEC team. They're a traditional power in the SEC, obviously second to Alabama usually. And not coming off of their best week, but it's almost like I don't want to bet against them because they're in the SEC. Now, I'm not discrediting Michigan whatsoever. I think Michigan's a really good football team. They've obviously shown that they're a really good football team. Their defense has played phenomenally well in the past two contests specifically as well. So that will be something to watch. I agree with you in the fact that Michigan will probably win up front. Um, I think their guys, especially defensively, are just too good. Mm. You have Aiden Hutchinson, who was invited to New York for the Heisman ceremony on that defensive side of the ball for Michigan. That will really disrupt some things for Georgia as well. But you, their, their quarterback, Bennett, has 24 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. And it's like, okay, that's not crazy. We just talked about Bryce Young, the Heisman winner. But if you're Georgia, that's really all you need out of your quarterback. Now, obviously, you can't afford to turn the ball over in a game like this. He had two picks in the game 
against Alabama in the SEC championship game, which obviously proved to be a big reason as to why Alabama ran away with that one. But I do I think this game is going to be pretty good actually, and I think the seven and a half spread is pretty accurate. Yeah, no, I mean, I I think it's probably a ten point game when it's all said and done. Uh, I I just don't trust what Georgia has at quarterback at all. And again, you know, we talked about the battles in the trenches. That that is where Michigan will win this game. It's where they've won all year, mm-hmm. uh, and and so I I think that plays. Uh, to Michigan's strength, and again, I just I don't see this enough on the skill positions. I don't see enough from the quarterback. There's not enough there for me to think that Georgia, if Michigan can control the pace of this game, is capable of of competing. And, and so that that is where I I think uh, Michigan will come out ahead. In the end, Michigan Alabama one v two in the championship. That's probably what I think is the most likely. Now, on the other side of the ball, Cade McNamara, we, we've seen him perform well in, in s- certain games this year. Right. He's got 15 touchdowns, four interceptions through the air, over 2,400 yards. He's nearing 2,500 yards on the season. But he's got to face a Georgia defense that, with the exception of last week, of the or not last week literally, but the last week that Georgia played, they were giving up a touchdown a game. And I don't care if they didn't play Alabama all regular season. They're an SEC team. And if you're giving up six and a half points a game through the regular season, that's something that really opens your eyes. And even after the Alabama loss, they're only giving up nine and a half per game. And that's something that I'm going to look for with Cade McNamara because how can he respond to that defense? Once again, we've seen good performances out of him. We saw him play well against Ohio State. He did what he needed to do. Obviously, Haskins really stole the show in that one. But it'll be interesting to see how Michigan's air attack fares against this really good Georgia defense because that that's a big reason why I think this game is going to be closer than maybe you think, Grant, or maybe other people think as well because, I mean, one of the better defenses that Cade McNamara has faced this year was Nebraska's, really, if we're talking. If you want to talk numbers and, and how effective defenses were in the Big Ten this year, Nebraska was up there with the best of them. So, now obviously they put up 32 points in that game, but some of that was because of field positioning issues and whatnot. But that's something that I'm going to keep my eyes peeled for in this one. Well, see, that's the thing. McNamara still threw for 255 in that game. And then you have the one-two punch of Haskins and Corum. That That is something that I just I don't see on the Georgia side of the ball. Plus, you had J.J. McCarthy in there who, you know, is not going to win this game for Michigan, but he provides a certain level of dynamic versatility to this offense, um, you know, th- that, again, is not present on the Georgia side. Uh, you nearly had two rushers against that Nebraska defense for Michigan, nearly at 100 yards. Haskins at 123, Blake Corum had 89, and three rushing touchdowns combined between the two of them. And that was, again, a huge key to their win against Ohio State, was those two. Haskins had 169 mm-hmm. yards on the ground on that game. So I, I, I don't know if the quarterback, quote-unquote, battle, um, the quarterback magic really matters for Michigan as much as it does for Georgia because of that one-two punch in the backfield. Blake Corum had 87 yards on just six carries in that game as well against Ohio State. All I'm saying is if the Michigan ground game starts to slow down or lose steam, that could be dangerous 
for this Michigan Wolverine team. Grant, your score predictions for either of these games. Yeah, again, I think this first game is closer than the second one. I'm looking at Alabama winning it 27-24. Then on the Michigan-Georgia side, I think it's about 10 to 11 points. We'll give Michigan a 31-20 victory over the Bulldogs. And as for me, I think Alabama will win that game against Cincinnati. Um, Once again, I think it'll be a close game. I think it'll be a one-score game. I'll say Alabama wins that one 34-27. And I'm going to go with Michigan edging the Bulldogs of Georgia. I'll give them... Let's go with the... I I feel like it would be low scoring with those two. So I I like your 31 number. I'll I'll do 31-24 Michigan in that game as well. Michigan will cover that spread handily as they are plus seven and a half underdogs. So there's our preview of the two college football playoff semifinal games. Once those two games are done next week, we will have our college football playoff national championship preview for you as well as either Alabama, Cincinnati, Georgia, or Michigan will be squaring off for the national title. Now, one conversation that's been had a lot this year, and one conversation that's almost been a reality throughout this year, is the expansion of the college football playoff. Now, I know Grant and I have talked about this on our show before, what number of teams we want to see in, how it could change, how could how could it benefit teams such as Cincinnati, because if it is expanded, you could see multiple group of five teams in there. You could have auto bids for conference champs. It would change a lot of things. And I know the number that the committee, as well as a lot of people just in the general public, have landed on either 12 or 8 Grant, I want to get your take on that once again as time has passed. What's your ideal number for this college football playoff tournament? I, I think it's the number that they're settling on with with 12. I, I think 12 is a good number to have. Six, I like 16 too. I, I think there's arguments to be made for both. Um, but 8 just to me is not enough at this time. 12 gets you in a position where you can still have some amazing upsets, highlights. You, you need this playoff at this point to add stakes. To, to say that the playoff uh, ruined college football's postseason to me is not accurate. I mean, before the football playoff came into play, there were still uh, players who were opting out early for the NFL draft. There was a number of these situations going on. And now, granted, you know, some of the playoff exacerbated that a little bit, but I don't think it, it was the main deciding factor. It was already headed that way to begin with. So at this point, if you want to regain some of the importance of the postseason, uh, I think you have to expand it soon as possible. The The thing to me is that, you know, the Bulls have already lost so much value. I, I, I don't know if retaining uh, the value or the tradition or the history of the bowl games, at least as we have known them for the past 40 or so years, is even possible at this point. Uh, I, I You know, if you had... If you had talked about the top two or three receivers in the country opting out of a meaningless Rose Bowl game 40 years ago, people would have thought you were crazy. Uh, and, and still with Ohio State, with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, that's what we had this year, along with numerous other players uh, across the league. So uh, that, to me, uh, is the biggest thing uh, as we approach it. It has to happen sooner than later. 12 is the right number, uh, maybe 16. But to get that value out of the postseason, once again, you have to get that number up to 12 so you can have more teams with more games with actual stakes towards the end of the year. Yeah, I agree. I think 12 is the correct number. 
I think that would make for a really interesting playoff tournament. I don't know about 16. That seems a little too high for me, but uh, I would be open to hearing that argument as well. But I will say, I don't think the postseason in college football has necessarily been quote-unquote ruined because, yeah, if you're playing in, say, the New Era Pinstripe Bowl, which Maryland absolutely dominated in yesterday. Destroyed. I don't think that... Now, obviously, in in a national perspective, or if you're a neutral fan, you don't have a dog in the race in those games. You're not emotionally connected to either of those teams, so you, you're not really like emotionally into the game. But you're still going to watch the game. Like people are still going to watch the bowl games, and I know it's not for the national championship. But if you're a fan of a school, I mean, Purdue and Tennessee are playing right now in the Music City Bowl, and granted, that is basically a home game for Tennessee. But that game is close to sold out, if not sold out. Auburn's bowl game was sold out. I mean, you can name a number of these games. Oklahoma and Oregon was packed yesterday at the Alamo Bowl. And now, obviously, those are for the school fans, but I still think bowl games hold value. Obviously, not as much as it used to because of the college football playoff. But at the same time, when you had the BCS National Championship game, it was two teams and that was it. Everybody else is playing in a bowl game. And everybody else is not playing for a national championship. So if you do expand the playoff to 12, and since they expanded it to 4, you're giving more teams a chance to win the trophy of all trophies in college football, which is the national title. And I think that'll be really good for the sport. But I I don't want to say bowl games have been necessarily ruined. I mean, I still like to watch them i take great entertainment from from them as well i mean michigan state and Pitt is on tonight that'll probably be a great game so i don't i don't want to see okay so here's here's the thing on that for me i i have not i'm not i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure that bowl games are are ruined i don't know if i fully believe that it's heading that way I, for me i have not watched a single bowl game uh intently this year, I, I think I've watched. There's been a couple on while I'm doing something else in, like for example, a, a restaurant. But I, it, you know, in my opinion, I have no interest in watching Michigan State and Pitt tonight. Uh, a, a team without its offensive coordinator in Pitt, without its, uh, without Pickett, without uh, Kenneth Walker on the other side for Michigan State. So you know, to me, I'm like, I have no interest in watching that. It's totally watered down. Uh, it is not. It is not the real deal. Uh, um, it, maybe it makes sense if you're a fan, if you're looking ahead to the future. But but as a casual outside observer, it's hard for me to get invested into most of these games. No, and I think that's a fair point, especially when you have that many players of that magnitude missing from a matchup such as that. I don't know. Maybe it's just personal preference for me. I enjoy bowl games. I enjoy watching them. Um, and I'm sure the rest of Husker fans will enjoy watching them once we can make one, but right. I, I don't think... Well, and, Go ahead. And, and for me, too, like it, it is a little bit different in that like I would just... There's a lot more things competing with the bowl games right now, right? right. Like I, I would rather watch a really good high school basketball game here in, in Nebraska or a college basketball game that has a lot more stakes than these bowl games occurring at this very same time uh that that is kind of where my preference is at so you know that that's another layer on top of it right not only are there no stakes in this game but there's plenty of other games going on in other sports across the country and locally that have higher stakes yeah it is a tough time for ratings too because you have the nfl you have the nba 
You have college basketball, men's and women's as well. So there's a lot of stuff going on. You have hockey, too, if you're a hockey fan out there. So there are a lot of competing factors when it comes to at least ratings-wise in the bowl games and, and what you want to watch. Obviously, I'm a huge college basketball fan, so if I see a, a top 25 matchup in college basketball, we'll most likely flip over to that before flipping over to a bowl game. But I guess my biggest takeaway, for lack of a better term, is I I would rather have the bowl games there than not have them at all, even if it even if they don't have teams in it that I don't emotionally root for. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that makes sense. I I mean. <laughs> I, I I think you know some I think it was who was it that tweeted uh, that there are too many bowl games? Uh, oh, I think it was I saw Danny Cannell. <laughs> yeah, he was he was getting flamed for it. I you know I I think I agree with Joel Klatt's take. Basically, is there's never such a such such a thing as too much football? Uh, yes, I I think I agree with that. And like I might not want to watch it if the players want to play in the games. And the coaches want to coach in the games. And it means something to the players who are playing in the games. I'm not saying you should get rid of them. I'm just saying it doesn't have enough value for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a fair point. But hopefully this college football playoff thing can pick up some more steam once the season is all said and done. Once again, college football playoff semifinals December 31st, tomorrow, New Year's Eve. And we will have coverage for you throughout the offseason as well if the 12-team expansion becomes an actual thing, um, which I certainly am hoping for, and I think a lot of college football fans are also hoping for that as well. Now let's dive into women's basketball. They're playing Michigan State right now, trying to battle for a 13-0 spot. Grant, do you know if that game has gone final yet? 19 seconds to go. Michigan State leads at 72-69, to Huskers ball. Whoa. So... No, it has not got final. <laughs> it's, not, I mean, it's, it's short. It's almost gone final. But uh, the Huskers trying to get to 13-0. Let's see if they can do here because we have sort of live updates now as this game is right. currently going on. We were supposed to record earlier in the day, but now this game is happening, and I'm sure Matt Coatney is losing his mind right now as we had him on Matt Coatney is... Oh, he's certainly losing his mind. There's a, there a three-pointer that was made earlier that I thought, oh, man, the you betcha has to be insane. Uh, and four seconds, Shelly from the left wing misses, and that'll do it. Oh. So Nebraska now 12-1. 12-1. 1-1 a Big Ten play then, but still a phenomenal start for this team. 12-1, once again, their upcoming schedule here after today's game, which was at Michigan State. They host Michigan, they host Iowa, then they travel to Indiana and Iowa and then host Rutgers. On January 20th, our coverage will continue on that team as well as Amy Williams and her squad look to push towards March, which seems like a very big reality if they can keep it rolling. Obviously a tough loss here today, but only by three points. It's hard to win on the road in Big Ten play, especially coming out of the winter break as well for this team. So that is no easy task. But Grant, you had a little bit of an idea right after we started recording, but the top five Husker moments that we think have happened this year. Let's dive into that, Grant. I'm curious to hear what you have in store because there have been a lot of things that have happened over the course of the last right. 365 days. Yes. Yes, there have. And I'll go over them here. Uh, 
Well, let's just let's just alternate. Uh, I've got two volleyball ones and, and two baseball ones for you. Um, so we will go with uh, number five, which is my football one. Um, this was the 20th anniversary of 9/11 game against Buffalo. The pregame festivities. Um, the national anthem, the uh, America-shaped American flag on the field, the the hype video, it was incredibly emotional for someone who wasn't even alive uh, on the events of that you know of that horrific day. Uh, that that moment really stuck out to me from this year. It's my lock screen on my phone, uh, the image from the press box. Um, it was really really something special, and that sticks out to me as the number five moment from this year. Yeah, it's a really good one, and I remember when that video came out for the uniform reveal. Um, they had Damian Jackson in it, and they had all the veterans and everybody kind of going up that street, and that was a a really, really cool, touching, and emotional video all in one. And as you mentioned, the pregame festivities of that game against Buffalo w- was really awesome to see, and the amount of patriotism that was displayed there and how everybody was able to come together on an absolutely beautiful day in September. Uh, That was a really, really cool thing to see. I don't want to copy you, so I'm going to go number five, also football, but a different game. Thunderstruck of the Northwestern Mm. game between Nebraska and Northwestern heading into the fourth quarter. That was one of the coolest things I think I've ever been a part of at a stadium. Um, My dad came in for that game as as well as my stepmom, so that was cool to have them there as well as the first night game of the year. Uh, it was against Northwestern, who has really turned into a Western division rival. Um, and those games are always close, but Nebraska was able to really put the hurt on the Wildcats, winning 56-7 to in that one. But the Thunderstruck moment really stood out to me. I think it was super cool. And after having one actual season of being able to go to the games and have that under my belt as a student... Nebraska does a phenomenal job of putting together a game day experience, and that was one of many great things about that day. The whole day was great in general, but that minute and a half or so period of time was just so awesome. Number four for me, and uh, that strike sticks out. By the way, Connor, uh, you're number five. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if Michigan had been a win, it certainly would have been that one. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but... Uh, but again, you do have to give the Northwestern game a lot of credit because that was the that was the first time they did it, if I remember right. It was. Uh, it was so, debut. number four for me, my first baseball one, Kade Povich's immaculate inning oh. uh, against Michigan. That one, that was really cool. I, I don't know if I've seen anything like that, and it was a great way to end. Uh, the rest of the pitching outing was fantastic. Um, you know, it, it was a great, great way to end the regular season for baseball and launch them in, into the postseason. That, that was something really special and something I'll remember for a while from 2021. Yeah, that's a really good one. I almost forgot, actually, about the immaculate inning from Cade Povich. Am I a bad Husker baseball fan for that? Maybe, but you can be the yes. judge of that. <laughs> but once again, Husker baseball with a phenomenal season earlier this year. Um, I do have a baseball thing coming up on my list as well. I will say number four... For me personally, and this is because I'm not as big of a volleyball fan as maybe you, Grant, but my first game in the Bob Devaney Center going to a volleyball game there, that was super fun. I'm trying to remember who they played. I believe it was the Colgate game, so one of the first games, if not the first game of the year. That was the first game. Yes, so the first game of the year and being able to experience that 
in the Bob Devaney Center. This is more of a personal one. Obviously, Nebraska swept that game. They took care of business. Um, but that was just really cool because I'd never been to a collegiate volleyball game before. The atmosphere was awesome. Obviously, Husker Nation showed out for that one. It was a sold-out crowd. And the Devaney Center was rocking from start to finish. So that was really cool to experience. So I'll go with that as my number four, Nebraska versus Colgate. My first ever collegiate volleyball game. Number three for me is a volleyball moment as well. This is the first of two uh, volleyball moments, and it would be the return of Lauren Stiffrens in the Michigan match uh, earlier this year. I think that was in October. It was one of the craziest crowd um, pops, if you will, um, that I that I had witnessed in person. The Devaney Center got loud, I think, the three loudest moments this year for the Devaney Center were the return of Justine Wongarantes, the return of Lauren Stiverens to the actual uh, playing floor, and then, of course, the return of additional Olympian alongside Justine Wongarantes, um, Jordan Larson. So I, this Lauren Stiverens one, I think, was the loudest of the three. And the, the return of such a beloved player... Um, was was really really special to see and of course they absolutely destroyed Michigan in that match and, and regained some of their momentum uh, and started to find some of their older identity that they had lost or couldn't find in the beginning of the year. Yeah that's a good one and obviously Lauren Stevens has meant so much for the program in volleyball as well here with the Huskers but that's a very good one to put on the list. My number three and I don't know if I want to have a tie here or if I'll go with an honorable mention uh, later in the list before we hit number one. But I think I'm going to go with men's basketball this year, Nebraska-Creighton. And I know that Nebraska didn't end up winning that game. But for me, once again, it's more of an experience thing because that was the most legit college basketball atmosphere I had ever been in, period. The student section was full more than an hour before tip. Obviously, it was a it was a sold-out crowd. It was the 10th largest crowd in Pinnacle Bank Arena history and the place was rocking, and Creighton got off to that quick start. They were up almost 20, if not 20, and then Kobe Webster just catches fire, and the roof is about to blow off the place, and it was a close game, really, from then on. Nebraska had many chances to win that game, obviously coming up short against uh, McDermott and the Blue Jays just down the road in I-80 out in Omaha, but that was, once again, another phenomenal just fan experience. And being able to be a part of that in such a raucous crowd and really in a rivalry environment, it was really, really cool because I'd never really seen anything like that as I've grown up going to DePaul and Northwestern basketball games. And they they really haven't had too much success in both of our lifetimes, Grant. But that was really awesome to be a part of. Yeah, that that one's up there for me. That's actually probably my honorable mention. Uh, And you're right. it, It was mainly because of the atmosphere. And... Everybody piled in kind of late in that game. It looked a little like, apart from the student section, it looked a little surprisingly empty just about 10 minutes before that thing tipped off. And then all of a sudden, it filled up quick. Oh, yeah. And uh, that, that was that was something that that uh, that I that I also had never been a part of. I'd never been to a Creighton-Nebraska game before I covered that one. Uh, so that was a lot of fun to see. Uh, this is going to be tough. I can't. It's really hard for me to decide between number two and number one here. Um, there's there's a lot of conflict. This is very close to a one A one B. For my number two, 
I'm going to have to go with Nebraska's Final Four run in volleyball this year. Uh, it was one of, I, I think you could say both my number two and my number one were both technically unexpected at the beginning of the year. But it was one of the best and coolest atmospheres that I've also ever been a part of. You know, it's something that that entire experience really convinced me that college volleyball needs to be a far more televised sport than it currently is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the Big Ten Network has done a good job of doing that this year, putting the best conference in volleyball on full display uh, almost every weeknight. But ESPN, um, of course the Big Ten or Fox, they all, I think need to start picking up some of these college football games during or college volleyball games during the fall on these weeknights, your Mondays, your Tuesdays, your Wednesdays. Um, th- those matches, I think, are going to get better and better ratings as this year goes on, as time goes on, because volleyball in many ways is a sport that is just made for TV. Um, it fits TV so well. It fits TV much better than radio. There are very few people that are like John Baylor that can that can bring it to life so well. Uh, and, and so, again, the demand is growing, and I'm excited to see something like that on national continue to grow, and, I, and I'm excited to see uh, Nebraska continue to be on the national stage in the performance of freshmen uh, like Lexi Rodriguez, Ali Batenhorst, and Lindsey Krause lead this team into the future. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've decided I'm going to have a tie at number two, because if I don't, then I'll have too many honorable mentions to really list off here before we get to number one, but I'm going to go... A tie between Nebraska's Final Four run in volleyball, as you just mentioned. It was really cool. Again, not as huge of a volleyball fan as Grant is, but I've been following the team all year, and we've covered the team on this show before, and we've talked about them and whatnot. But it was really cool because, A, you're like, oh, hey, we we go to school with those people, and they're playing on national television for a national championship year. So that's really cool. And it's just a team that we've been able to, to watch and go to their games and really just kind of root on for and it was kind of a pride thing as well being a Nebraska fan and I know for locals it probably took on a bigger meeting than just for me who's been in the Nebraska community for a year and a half now but Nebraska obviously huge volleyball powerhouse has been for a while will continue to do so under John Cook and any other coaches that come on in the future um, whenever John Cook's tenure ends here at Nebraska but that was really cool to see Um, and and I was I took a lot of pride in seeing them there. Again, not a huge volleyball fan, but the fact that they were able to overcome all the adversity as being a 10 seed, going on the road, beating Texas, then beating Pitt in four sets, and almost upsetting Wisconsin in that final, that was really, really fun and really, really cool to watch. My other number two is, I'm going to go back to baseball here, Nebraska baseball beating Arkansas at their place in the regional in the NCAA tournament. That game was so fun to watch. And as a much bigger baseball fan than volleyball fan that is that I am, it, it, it was really cool. And to see your school upset the number one team in the tournament was really, really awesome. And again, sort of a pride thing as well there, but all of the storylines that came out of that regional and the booing of Mojo Haggy and Jackson Hallmark just displaying his personality in front of all the Arkansas fans and hearing Woo Pig Suey every two seconds. That game was a lot of fun to watch. That whole regional was a lot of fun to watch, but that win sticks out to me. Yeah, well, it does to me too, and it's hard to decide between the two, and I know you had a tie. I think I put Nebraska baseball at my number one spot that exact same event. Uh, uh, it It is hard to really 
the reason it was so hard for me to put one ahead of the other uh, is really because there, there are truly so many similarities between both events. Both teams were not supposed to be, were expected, were not expected to be there at the end of the year. Both teams were enormous underdogs. Nebraska baseball against Arkansas, Nebraska volleyball against Wisconsin and Pitt and Texas. Um, I think the reason that I put Nebraska baseball ahead in that specific moment, of course, all that atmospheric things that Connor mentioned, I mean, those are incredibly important and they still stick in my mind to this day. I, I think... To me, it goes ahead and just by a hair, simply because we expect the level of play and the production and the standard and the excitement out of teams coached by John Cook and that volleyball program. We expect that every year. What Nebraska baseball did this year wasn't necessarily expected. They thought, hey, maybe they'll be good, uh, but but the, the challenge they brought to bear against Arkansas was not something anyone thought was even possible at the beginning of the year. They weren't even remotely considered to be in the running for the Big Ten Championship. And, you know, you talk about what you would this volleyball season meant to you, Connor, and, and how it shifted you and kind of made you more of a volleyball fan. This last baseball season made me a much bigger fan of baseball than I was before. I've always kind of thought it was boring. There's a lot of things that I didn't like about it going into this year. And as you watch a team like Nebraska, uh, you, you see the, the strategy from Will Bolt. Um, and, and again, what good baseball looks like on a national stage. Um, it, it's special. It's special. I, I'm going to find myself watching a lot more college baseball this year, not only in Nebraska, but other teams as well. And in large part, it's due uh, to the work of Will Bolt's squad in 2021. Yeah, collegiate baseball is a lot of fun to watch. And that I haven't watched a whole lot of collegiate baseball before last year. Obviously, grew up watching the Cubs and watching a lot of MLB. But collegiate baseball is definitely faster paced. It's higher scoring than the pros. And it's just really, really cool to watch because once again, it's your school going against other schools. And when you have a lot of success, just as Will Bolt and his squad did over the past year, it makes it that much more fun to pay attention to and get emotionally invested in. And I think Will Bolt did a phenomenal job with his team last year and hopefully more of the same to come here in this upcoming spring in 2022. Super excited for their season to begin as well. I have a couple of baseball um, honorable mentions here for me. And then I think one women's basketball honorable mention for me as well, but I'll do the baseball ones first. Obviously winning the big 10, that was a, a really cool thing to watch because you see the dog pound or the dog pile rather. And just being able to capture that trophy wearing the black jerseys on a Sunday, which is really, really cool to see. And then a game that I got to be at was the first game of the Rutgers series, which Nebraska actually ended up getting swept in. But um, Acker hit an inside-the-park home run and then got what is essentially the same thing as being teed up in basketball after staring down the Rutgers dugout after sliding across home plate. I don't know. I thought that was really cool. The energy was phenomenal um, over there in Haymarket Park at Hawks Field, and <laughs> that was just a really cool moment, and it, it sort of, and I'll just say this, is it was kind of badass by Acker as well, too, so that was really fun to watch, just seeing him sprint 
around the bases to try and get home and eventually scoring. And then I will say women's basketball in the Big Ten tournament last year. They won their first game, and they really pushed Maryland to the edge in that second round. And they, I was really rooting for them in that Big Ten tournament because I really thought that they would be able to make a late push towards March. They were solid last year. They were around 500. So that was they, they were really fun to watch um, in that Big Ten tournament. Grant, do you have any honorable mentions? Yeah, I, I think I hit mine. Uh, the only honorable mention I really have is that Creighton, that Creighton experience. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, you mentioned you brought up plenty of good ones, plenty of fun moments this year. And at my number one spot, I am going to go back to football, and once again, not really a game thing. Although the game that followed this event was extremely good, despite the outcome for Nebraska, but. I will say the Husker Power chant slash tunnel walk ahead of Michigan. That was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen at a stadium. The Husker Power chant was 10 times louder than any other game before that at home. And being a Bulls fan growing up, obviously I know the song's serious and you hear that bass and you think of, uh, at least for my generation, D. Rose and and that team, but older people and parents and such think of Michael Jordan and them. But hearing that kind of bass like start to fill up the stadium and everybody starts getting loud and rowdy, and then you see the team leave from the locker room, I don't know, something about that is just so, so cool. And I every time it happens, I question myself, how the hell does Nebraska lose a home game with that sort of intro? Because people get so into it, including myself. But I think that was my favorite moment of the year sports wise. Um, once again, more of an experience thing, but these are things that I've really never been able to be a part of until this year regarding COVID last year and everything. So I, I will put that as my number one spot. And the game that followed was phenomenal as well. I, even if you were watching as a, a neutral fan, that game was really, really good. And we really thought Nebraska was going to pull that one out. But in the end, Michigan was victorious and that's why they're playing tomorrow night in the college ball playoff. But once again, that's my favorite moment uh, of the year for the Huskers, which is really, really cool. Yeah, yeah, that one that one was special. Uh, you know, it's it's fascinating to me. I actually didn't get to experience a single game this year as a fan, truly, um, partially by design. But you know that that tunnel walk, that tradition literally brings nearly brings tears to my eyes every single time. Uh, it does not get old for me. I know it's certainly very special for you. Um, it it does not change. Uh, being here for well twenty years now uh, of of my of my life, all of it. Um, you know, it's it does not lose any of its luster. Hopefully, it doesn't for you. It certainly hasn't for me. No, it certainly is not for me. And even when your team is three and nine, every single time it is energetic people are into it and it is just a, one of the greatest intros i really think in all of sports it's it's really really cool it's one of the coolest things i think i've ever seen so that was really awesome to be a part of so there are grant and i's top five moments regarding husker sports over the last year and i think that will do it for us on husker sports weekly episode number 73 we talked about the college football playoff we previewed the two games talked expansion Talked a little bit about women's basketball as they fall to Michigan State, their first loss of the year, and then we listed off our top five Husker moments of 2021. 
Once again, we thank you so much for listening over the past year. We've been able to accomplish a lot on this show, release a lot of episodes, a lot of rapid reactions over the past 365 days. So we really appreciate your listenership and we hope you have a very, very happy new year and we hope you had a very merry holiday season. Once again, you can find us on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27 and at Hanson 15 underscore Hanson. You can find our show on Twitter at Husker Weekly and search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar of your favorite podcast networks. Once again, have a very happy new year. 2021 was a great year for Husker Sports and hopefully 2022 is even better. But until next year, go Big Red.